1: Welcome to the Dogs Program here on 3CR 855 on AM Dial and podcast on the WWWs. It's great to have your company here as we defend government schools from week to week to week because they are being attacked from week to week to week. Um, This show is all about government schools. Firstly, how great they are. We always finish off with our segment about a particular great state school, and this show is no different. We'll be going to the Western Districts to talk about an amazing school out there in Hamilton. Um, But that's later in the program. But the issues we're talking about today relate to what both the federal and state government are doing to our government schools. Um, It's part of the structural problems in Australia that no one advocates for state schools apart from us and a few parents groups across the country. There are some think tanks that do it, but the federal and state governments do not actively support their state school systems. Um, They support all of the school systems, including um, private, for-profit and religious schools, which is really quite disappointing. And Jean's going to be highlighting um, these inequitable problems um, as they continue to go forward. Um, Also, we do highlight various research that's been done around the world, and we'll be talking in detail about how the free market, um, the free market theology that seems to be ruling Australia's education community at the moment, usually under the rubric of school choice, um, is actually just Dividing, segregating and um, separating out our children at birth in terms of their likely class, um, their likely income levels and unfortunately um, the income of your parents in Australia is now one of the single greatest determinants to the quality of the education you're likely to receive in this country. Yes, yes, that's Dickensian. That's what we're returning to and there's some interesting research that's been done that highlights this very fact, not just in Australia but it's a well-known fact around the world. Um, on our international theme for the program today, we'll be also um, discovering what's going on in New Zealand, just across just across the Tasman Sea over there. Um, the teachers are having a having having a good time on the streets. Um, they're having a few protests, and we'll be outlining exactly what the issues are there. But before we go any further, we must always start, as I say, with Jean's press release. Now, Jane's press release is number seven hundred and what? Jane, what is it? Seven nine four. Seven
2: hundred and ninety four. it will go release. up on our on our website. Uh, either today, tomorrow or Monday at at www.adogs.info
1: Well, we can look forward to that. We'll be hearing from Jane and her famous press releases um, and they are famous and they're worth listening to. Truth to tell, I haven't heard it yet so I'm looking forward to it after this.
2: Santa Concha, what the hell is a completo anyway? It's a Chilean hot dog, mate. What happens when lots of people get together and eat completos? It becomes a completada bailable. If you really want to experience a completada bailable and support our 3CR community, come to our fundraiser,
3: Saturday 8th of June at Moreland City Bandroom, 16 Cross Street, East Brunswick at 6pm. Come and check your culo with DJ Twin and DJ Otorongo and live music by Abe Danovitz, Little Chili and their mates.
0: My name is Ian Ham and I'm the chair of the Healing Foundation's Stolen Generations Reference Group. At three weeks of age, I was separated from my birth family, and even though they live just 50 kilometres away, I never knew they existed. I never met my mum, and it pains me to this day. There are thousands of Aboriginal people just like me, and our stories have never been heard. These stories form the basis of Australia's first Stolen Generations resource kit for schools. To download the kit... Go to healingfoundation.org.au.
2: A 3CR supporter.
1: Yeah, the Stolen Generation School Kit. That's something I'm very interested in. And, of course, Spanish. Oh, I love it. Anyway, um, away from all the fun stuff, let's get into this really interesting stuff. Jean, tell us about your researches from your press release.
2: Well, I've discovered that our state Labor government that we put in the state the school vote put Mr Andrews well and truly into power in Victoria. But they're following Morrison. In preferential treatment to private
1: schools. Who's following Morrison?
2: Our state government. Andrews. Andrews and Molina.
1: Okay, tell us more.
2: As the Labor Party licks its wounds after the Morrison same old same old election win, because it is, it's not there's not terribly much difference uh, in the actual composition of the Parliament, the state Labor Party is rushing to shore up what it regards as part of its traditional power base. Now we're hearing an awful lot about those coal miners that voted liberal. Yeah. But the other the other power base is the religious vote. Yeah. Imitating the Morrison Tian government in Canberra, which has private schools in their DNA, and the coalition government in New South Wales Andrew and Andrews and Melino have upped the ante in distributing largesse to private schools, private religious schools in Victoria. Because they're now, now not only giving them money more money and more and more money for running costs but they have actually upped the amount that they are promising for capital works. In other words we are now paying for private property which is owned by religious bodies. Now they were going to provide 120 million and people weren't happy about that but in this budget that they have just bought down this has now been increased to the New South Wales government's figure which is 400 million and we discover from the Australian it's not in the age but it was in the Australian of Tuesday May the 28th 2019 that the government has bolstered the size of its non-government school infrastructure fund that's what it's called an infrastructure fund From 120 million over four years to 400 million over four years and the low fee Catholic primary school Corpus Christi at Glenroy is one of the first to benefit. Why? Why this particular school? It's the school where Premier Daniel Andrews was educated from prep to year three and it's going to receive a million-dollar grant to refurbish its toilets, classroom and external areas. While Mr Molino defended the provision of government funding to non-government schools, saying every child deserved access to a great school close to home, the infrastructure fund has proved contentious. I don't know why he's talking about close to home because a lot of people travel a long way in cars and clog up the roads with congestion to get their children to their schools. Uh, the Australian Education Union's Victorian branch president, Meredith Pearce, has reacted. She said that the increased funding was a significant concern despite the increased investment in public school buildings and infrastructure. And she said that the recurrent funding for public schools should be prioritised in any new bilateral funding agreement with the federal government. Because to do him justice, Andrews did hold out on the pretty lousy deal that Morrison and Tien were offering our state schools. But he's now caved in and signed up. He's not prepared to take on what the Labor Party regard as their, quote, religious base. Isn't it interesting how quickly they run scared? Mm. Meanwhile, the public sector needs at least 200 new schools, we're told, if it is to successfully enrol the next generation of baby boomers. So we've actually got another generation of baby boomers coming up uh, they're not going to get all of the goodies that the last generation of baby boomers received. Victoria has commissioned the building of 17 new public schools in rapidly growing areas and they're going to upgrade a further 109 as part of a $2.8 billion investment in school education. But Victoria, if they're going to really educate all of the children that have been in the labour wards a few years ago, needs 200 new schools. So who's going to build them? The schools that are being built anyway, dear listeners, are being built by private enterprise and the government is leasing them back and paying the maintenance costs. The government has increased its spending on building projects From 1.3 billion last year to 1.8 billion in this year's budget. And of course those billions are going to private enterprise to build schools. And they're doing this in a bid to fulfil a promise of providing 100 new schools across the state over eight years. And the budget also delivers on that 400 million promise for non-government school sector. So they're going to get lots of money from Mr Morrison to build new schools, the private sector, while the public sector is putting money into the coffers of private enterprise to build private-public partnership schools. Mr Morrison claims that by giving more to private schools, he's going to deal with the, quote, nation's curse, or does he? Now, what does he mean by this nation's curse the nation's curse for Mr Morrison is the high youth suicide rate. So how is he going to deal with this when in fact he is very much against state schools who, do, who are the only schools who admit a large number of children of, without asking any questions and don't put any religious or any other requirements on them. How is he going to do it? Uh, he certainly is going to bolster the sectarian divisiveness that's leading to ever increasing levels of inequity in this country. And he doesn't seem to have any uh, plan to deal with the intense bullying that is going on for some children in our schools. So dogs want to remind Morrison, Tian, Andrews and Molina but the only way that the next generation can learn to live together is through putting them in school together. And the only way to combat tribalism, incivility, and the downward slide into bullying, hate and violence is for children to learn civility together in school. If children are separated into schools for the haves and the have-nots and the religiously Pure and the not so pure, then social dislocation will exacerbate the economic dislocation of the next digital artificial intelligence revolution. And this is why our public system needs the protection and the support of both adequate and sole public funding. And never since the period 1854 to 1862 when the public system in this country was in a dark period, do we need a champion like Parks. Uh, He was the politician of the 19th century who was prepared to stand up and fight for public education. So only the public system, we believe, can solve the very grave problems for the next generation of baby boomers. And that is why we are here. 12 noon every Saturday but that's enough from me over to Molly.
1: Thanks very much Jenny. you're listening to the Dogs Program we are the Defenders of Government Schools here on 3CR 855 on the AM doll and podcast on the WW's at the website 3cr.org.au um, we'll be back in more Defending of Government Schools um, after this Music. Maddie Pryor, there just for fun. Three Drunken Maidens having a nice time out on the town. Good fun, too. Um, you listen to the Dogs Program. We are the defenders of government schools, believe it or not. And all music is an education. I think that song was very educational. Um, we're going to move overseas now. It's not very far. We're going to move over to New Zealand because over in New Zealand there's trouble at Mill. I have a new uh, Prime Minister. I um, have a new Prime Minister, Jacinta Arden. Um, she's lovely. Uh, By all accounts, Uh, she's just a really nice person and she hugs people and she's bringing down a a well-being budget. Um, I don't know what that means. I'm I'm sure all the people in New Zealand will find out and tell me in good stead, but they're bringing down a well-being budget. Um, But one of the basic problems is that they want the well-being of the nation to be all right, but they're not willing to pay their teachers. Now, the teachers for some time have been very nice. They've taken not very much money and done too much work and burnt out sitting at their teachers' chairs at the front of the classroom now for years and years and years. But it's got to the point where uh, in New Zealand the teachers have had enough. Um, They've been negotiating for better conditions and a pay rise for some time now. And the government says, no, you can't have one because we don't have enough money.
2: Well, they want some genuine well-being, don't they?
1: Well... Fifty thousand primary and high school teachers have, in New Zealand, just gone on strike um, in the last week. Fifty—that's oh, that, thats pretty much all of them, in the entire country. It's the biggest industrial action ever seen in New Zealand schools. Now, since the Labour coalition government took power um, back in 2017, teachers have held three strikes, calling for pay rises, better working conditions, and more respect. For their profession I think that last one's actually important Because the respect that teachers are held with In a culture and society Is in fact crucially important To how successful um, Teaching education, schools, learning is In, in, in a school I'm quoting now by the way from an article um, On the 29th of May by Eleanor Roy um, Who's in Dunedin On behalf of the Guardian um, newspaper website They don't actually have a paper anymore But yeah, they're, they're, they're a news site Um, Eleanor Roy reports that um, on Wednesday, just this week gone, there was a one-day strike for the first time in primary and high school teachers, and they've actually taken united action together, and they dubbed the strike back on Wednesday as a mega-strike, because it's the biggest one. The protesters have so far turned down three pay rise offers from the government of 3%, and so they actually want 15% or more to continue working as teachers. But the government says it has no more money to give. Now, Carly Olivera, a primary teacher at Glaston Primary in Auckland, said the strike was the last resort. She didn't want to be there, but she felt she had to. Um, she's been a teacher for more than 20 years and said the burnout um, that she's feeling and is going on around her is just commonplace in New Zealand at the moment. If the teacher's demands were not met, she'll be forced to quit, um, just work in the private sector, do something else. Um, Oliveira says, we don't take striking lightly. Teachers in New Zealand are overwhelmed and we don't have time to teach. This is a huge struggle and there's a huge crisis in New Zealand in terms of teacher shortages. We want the government to invest in the future of teachers and the country's children and we're sick and tired of Band-Aid solutions. Now that's 50,000 teachers, 700,000 children (laughs) um, have been affected by the strike with many parents forced to take time off work of course and take children to work with them. Some local recreation spaces, such as libraries and swimming pools, were running programs to, you know, to, for children, while others were joining their parents in the protests. Post-Primary Teachers Association President Jack Boyle said it was a hugely disappointing that the talks with the government had actually failed or stalled. He says, and I quote, a well-resourced equitable education system is essential for a healthy society. We hope the government acts on its principles and makes this happen. Now Linda Stewart, Stewart, the president of the um, NZEI, that's the New Zealand education people, um, the union that represents primary school teachers, said the sector was actually now in crisis. Teachers have been forced to take care of too many students, they are bogged down by excessive paperwork, pastoral care obligations, large class sizes and not enough funding for special needs students. Stewart said, teachers have spoken. They want the government to find a solution, and they want them to find it now. Our children cannot wait, and neither can our teachers. The offers we have received from the government have not addressed the issues that a profession is facing. They will not turn around the crisis in education that's coming up round the corner. The Labor Coalition government has been forced to recruit teachers from the United Kingdom and from Australia to stem the shortfall. But many classrooms were still short of teachers, with principals forced to take over classrooms themselves, and schools begging retired teachers to come out of retirement and come back to teach. Education Minister Chris Hipkins warned teachers to expect a disappointment that the government had already offered the highest pay rise possible. The Oppositional National Party <laughs> said the strike was causing disruption to parents and carers nationwide as many city streets were closed by strikers. The action would unfairly hit low-income families who could not afford child care said the national spokesperson, but didn't say, of course, that the teachers should be paid appropriately. Um, They went on to say that national support is shifting the bargaining parameters around teachers' pay and workload, and we've called on the Prime Minister and the Minister of Finance to intervene. We do not believe this will be resolved by the government sticking its head in the sand. Mm. Now, I think this is fascinating, and the reason I think it's fascinating is this. Whenever teachers go on strike, it's about the money, but it's never, ever just about the money. It's about what they're expected to do in their jobs. I have never, ever heard a teacher in a a staff room ever, and I've listened to a lot, complain that they don't get paid enough without also saying that the conditions under which they work are inhuman. The amount of paperwork they have to do, the number of classes they have to teach, the, the amount of responsibility, and that pastoral care bit. The fact that they've been asked to be responsible for the emotional well-being of children that they have for six hours a day, whereas the parents, of course, take less and less these days, it seems.
2: These problems have been exacerbated since the 1970s when there was this romancing about devolution and how the school itself should be doing a lot of the work, not a centralised bureaucracy. A lot of the administrative work should not be done at the school level. It should be done... In a central bureaucracy by people who are employed to do it. Uh, and every school should be treated equally. When you have devolution, decentralisation, call it what you will, then you have burnout of principals and teachers, administration and responsibility pushed down the line to the local school and the people at the centre, at the top of the pyramid, namely the politicians, walking away and saying they are not responsible. Well, if they're going to be representative, they should be held responsible, and we should think again about why it was that in times gone by they centralised the administrative uh, jobs that had to be done in education so that every school could be treated equally under the public system.
1: No, thank you, Jean. I think you've, you've hit it one of the problems that's going on in New Zealand, certainly here in Australia, certainly here in Victoria. But whenever a teacher goes on strike, it's not about the money only. Mm. Now, they're saying we want a 15% pay rise because we're being underpaid and I can't afford to stay in this job. I can get paid something better somewhere else. You know, that's just whatever you want to talk about the free market. So I think the free market in education never drives what a teacher does, never drives what a child does. No, it's about the respect they have in the community and it's about the job that they do and whether they can in fact be allowed to teach effectively. It's what they've been trained to do, they want to do it and they need to be supported to do it. And I think it's fascinating that neither of the political groupings are willing to address these quite significant questions. Because when they are addressed, your education system flies. There's many, many international examples of an education system where teachers have a high status in the society, are appropriately remunerated because they have a high status in the society, and are supported to do their jobs properly. Because that is seen by everyone in the country or society or town or city or or village as to be the best thing to do that benefits the children, which is what it's supposed to be all about. So whenever I hear this, I, I, I can hear the teachers screaming, not because they want more money, but because they want to teach their children in the best way that they can, because they're not employees, although they are. They have come to teaching in many cases because it is a calling and it is, it is a vocation, and they want to be able to do their jobs, and if they can't, that frustration means they just go. They just leave in sadness. Their vocation has disappeared from them. They, they still want to do their job, but no one's letting them do it. It's a sad thing indeed. Um, hopefully that resolves in New Zealand. We'll keep up to date with what's going on over there on the dogs program. But we'll be back with a sort of bigger sort of conceptual issues, which I really want to share with you, relating to the big ideas of school choice and social segregation and how those two things actually are the same thing, just using different words. That is the difference or the not difference between school choice and social segregation.
2: Let's call it sectarianism. Oh, you can... No,
1: I, no, 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 no. Sectarianism is part of it, but there's this whole income inequality. I mean, God doesn't tell you how much money you're going to earn for a day's work. Um, or maybe he does, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm not religious, but I didn't see that in the Bible. Jean can tell me otherwise. But school choice, which is this free market theology... I suppose, in that sense, what you're talking about is sectarian. And social segregation, which is separating out the children from birth into groups depending upon, yes, their religion, but also how much money their parents earn and what this does to a country, what this does to a society.
2: The 3CR Radiothon is fast approaching.
1: And this
0: year, we're asking you to power Radical Radio.
2: That's right, it's with your support that we're able to be independent, community controlled and focused on people rather than profits.
1: Your support, during Radiothon, powers the station to give voice to hundreds of people and issues for another year.
2: And remember, any amount you can afford makes a big difference and all donations over $2 are tax deductible. 3CR Radiothon 2019.
4: June the 3rd to the
2: 16th. Power Radical Radio.
4: The Fair Go for Pensioners Coalition is holding a free conference on the 10th of July at the Greek Orthodox Church 23-29 to 29 Victoria Street, Coburg. The conference will take a look at whether the Aussie fair go still matters, ask why there's a crisis of trust in politicians and institutions and question why public welfare services are increasingly private and costly. We'll also consider what action we can take to build the future we want. Limited places are available and bookings before the 10th of June are essential. Email eventsfgfpvictoria at gmail.com or call 477 236 880 Fair Go for Pensioners Coalition Free Conference 10th of July in Coburg
2: A 3CR supporter
1: This is our country
2: We've never forgotten where we've come from
1: For who we are
2: We keep our culture strong Now it's time to come together Talk as equals
0: And write our own future
2: This is our country And this is our time
5: Treaty, it's time. Enroll now for the First People's Assembly
1: of Victoria election. Authorised by the Victorian Treaty Advancement Commission, Melbourne. Welcome back to the DOGS program here on 3CR 855 on the AND. It's good to have you company. Um, I've been promising to talk about the difference or the not difference between school choice and inequality. <laughs> Um, there's been a new OECD report. Now, the OECD is the Organisation of Economic and Cooperation and Development, so basically all the rich and the semi-rich countries get together and talk about themselves. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that, that can be nice, but um, that can also be useful in terms of generating data. Because what's happened is, between all the RECD countries, one of the things they like to do is compare themselves to each other. Am I better than you? Am I worse than you? Is there something that's a problem? And when you compare different countries in terms of various aspects of their society, sometimes it's useful for countries to get a wake-up call and say, Really? Are we, are we like that? Oh, OK, we better better fix it up. Well, when it comes to education... Um, and the OECD. There's a new report that's just come out that's been analysed by Trevor Kobold from the Save Our Schools organisation. Now the report's called Balancing School Choice and Equity. And it shows unequivocally, yet again, that school choice policies increase social and academic segregation between schools which in turn reduce equity in education. Now Australia, we are now the shining example are a prime example of the impact on how choice increases social segregation. School choice has been the centre of education policy now in Australia, well, Jean would argue, since the 60s, but it's been accelerating since the Howard years when he brought in the SES model um, in the early 2000s.
2: I don't think it's always been there, Robert, um, but uh, it hasn't been as marked since the private schools have been given an open slather. Mm. The wealthy have always in Australia made sure that their children were given the inside running on life's relay race. Mm. They've tried to buy it, buy it for them with the old boy network of private schools or religious mm. schools. But it has been much exacerbated in our lifetime.
1: Indeed. Um, Australia's had the policy now, at least for 20 years, where if the child is to be educated, then the government gives money to the school that educates the child, whether it be a, an exclusive private school or whether it be a state school. The government doesn't care. And so, therefore, our people with money are taking that government subsidy to wherever they like, be it Scots College or the local Catholic school or to the state school. It doesn't really matter as far as the government's concerned, except that concept of choice has a larger effect, and it's very simple. Because Australia, now, in the world, has one of the most socially and academically segregated school systems in the world. We've been getting worse and worse, and now we're up there. We have one of the most socially and academically segregated school systems. And we have, as a result, highly inequitable outcomes. It is a fact in Australia that if you are born to poorer parents, you will get... Less optimal academic results than if you were born to wealthy parents, independent of how clever you are. How clever you are has got nothing to do with it in Australia. It's how much money your parents earn.
2: Well, this is actually way back into the 19th, even the 18th century, because even at the beginning of the 20th century, they had the idea of meritocracy. Even the idea of a meritocracy in Australia, as opposed to an aristocracy, is under threat.
1: Oh no, no Australia is no longer anything like a meritocracy The concept of a fair go has disappeared I mean we actually discovered that in just real sort of linguistic terms of this last election Mm -hmm. Have a go to get a go trumped a fair go for all in the elections Those were the two slogans A fair go for all is now no longer what Australians are interested in Now not that I'm supporting one party over another But I'm just saying that in semantic Mm -hmm. terms A fair go for all is gone Mm -hmm. It's just gone um, it disappeared sometime in the last 20 years. And the fact that I'm reading from an OECD report that says we have one of the most inequitable education systems in the world um, just highlights that. Now, this report concludes that school choice can benefit some students. Of course it can. But overall, it increases social segregation of students as choice is mostly used by middle class and wealthy parents. Now, I'm going to quote from the report here. So this, this is for all the people in the world to listen to. Empirical results... In this volume suggests that weakening the link between place of residence and school allocation is related to a higher level of school segregation by social status. Some resilient, disadvantaged students may have access to schools that would otherwise be inaccessible in a strict residence-based policy were applied, but that in itself does not offset the social sorting, the social sorting effect that results when it's mostly middle or upper class families that take advantage of school choice policies. Now, this social segregation is associated with increasing inequality in educational outcomes for disadvantaged students, and I'll quote from the report again. The panel estimates in this report shows an increase in the isolation of high achievers from other students is associated with lower scores in tests amongst socioeconomically disadvantaged students without any significant impact on advantaged students. Now, the report considers school choice in terms of change in the proportion of students in private schools and the extent to which students are allocated to schools according to residence. It also considers the degree of local school competition as perceived by school principals and the extent to which parents are actually able to exercise some form of school choice in systems where schools select students based on how much money their parents earn and, on, and indeed on their academic ability. Now, according to the PISA data, which is the worldwide test data, an average of 18% of 15-year-old students across all the countries were enrolled in private schools in 2015. Now, in Australia, that's um, getting close to 25 30%. We have a much higher proportion of students in private schools than the rest of the world. Oh, sorry, this compares, as I say, and I thought it was, I thought it was only 30%. Jane, it's 44%. 44% of students are enrolled in private schools in 2015. Australia is one of the highest proportions in the OECD and is only exceeded by Chile, where they've had education rights, the Netherlands, Ireland and the UK. The report found little change in the proportion of most OECD countries between 2000 and 2015. However, the proportion in Australia increased by 3% between 2009 and 2015, which was one of the largest increases of any OECD country, exceeded only by Chile, the Czech Republic and the United Kingdom. In almost all school systems, students are assigned to schools based at least partly on the address, on the value of their property. In Australia, 48% of students are enrolled in schools where residences are considered for admission. This is larger than the average 40% across the OECD countries, but far lower than many countries, such as Canada, Finland and Norway and the United States. In the majority of OECD countries, the participants in PISA back in 2000 and PISA in 2015, the proportion of students attending schools that consider residence for admissions fell, but there was no statistically significant change in Australia. That is to say, how much your property is worth now has more impact on how likely you are to do in tests at school than how clever you are. Now, that is the opposite of a land of the fair go. That is literally the opposite. Now, I'm going to quote from the report again because I think this is fascinating. Now, because of local competition, schools may be tempted to skim off the most affluent and high-achieving students. Restricting enrolment to the most able students makes it easier for schools to rank high in public evaluations, thus maintaining its attractiveness to a parent. Low-achieving students may have little opportunity to choose schools if schools base their admissions on prior academic performance. Now, this is the fundamental issue at heart here. If you are a private school, which is functionally for profit, and you are there for your benefit, not for the benefit of everyone else, you will you will skim off high-achieving students from anywhere you can get them, all the other schools around. And so, therefore, you yourself as a school are more likely to do well in comparative rankings with other schools. But is that of actual benefit?
2: It's called chicken schooling, and it's done through scholarships for clever children in state schools.
1: Mm-hmm. But who does that benefit? Well, it benefit's you. Does it benefit the other schools? No. Does it benefit the education levels of everyone as a whole? No. Does it, does it
2: benefit the children? You talk ben- to some
1: of them. <laughs> does it benefit the country? No. Does it benefit anyone except for the school? No. So you have a system of school choice. This, this, this is the fundamental heart of the matter. You have a system whereby some schools can skim off students if they want to, and other schools, other students can be residualized. This is of benefit to one player in this game, and that is the school itself. It's not benefit to the students, not of benefit to the parents, it's not of benefit to the society as a whole. In fact, it is increasing inequality. Now, the major issue about increasing school choice is the impact of the segregation of students by ability or socioeconomic status. The evidence presented in the report suggests that choice increases segregation because it is mostly middle or upper class families that take advantage of school policies because they can. Now, empirical evidence for systems of country or statewide school choice policies, such as Chile, New Zealand, Sweden, the United States and Australia, suggests that providing more opportunities may increase school stratification based upon the student's ability, how much may their parents own, and indeed, this is the big one, on the colour of their skin and their ethnicity. Because in many countries that becomes a big factor in terms of postcode, fascism as I would call it, where you live to find what it is that your opportunities are, even in a school. In addition, choice means a greater likelihood that schools, that the schools most in demand, well, um, as, as Jean would say, um, chicken steel, from their most promising students, from the ones around them. The OC report uses, what the, what, well, I mean, this is a technical term, but the report uses what's called a dissimilarity index to measure the extent of academic and social segregation in schools. Index rates from zero, where, where there's no segregation, to one, where there's full segregation. That is, you have one type of student, okay? So either all boys who are white and middle class with incomes from their parents over a certain percent. You know, that sort of thing, full segregation. A high dissimilarity index means that distribution of disadvantaged students across schools is different from that of students who are not considered to be disadvantaged. Now, social segregation of disadvantaged students in Australia is extremely high compared to most other OECD countries. Australia in the world has the fourth highest degree of social segregation amongst 35 other countries. So we have a greater segregation than Slovakia or Spain, or Italy, or Latvia, or Germany, of course, or Estonia, or Japan, or Portugal, or France, or Greece, or Austria, or New Zealand, or even Turkey, or Korea, or Canada, or Finland, or Iceland, or, Norman, or Norway, any of those. The only countries in the world that have highly, more highly segregated, more highly segregated countries, are Chile, Mexico... And hungry. Yep. Everyone else, we are much... It's absolutely shocking to me that this, that this is what's happened. But I, I could go on about that, and I think we might dip into it in shows to come, but the whole concept of segregating children out upon their postcode and income the with their parents is something that both major political parties accept, and the state government and the federal government both accept as just the way we do things around here. And whenever you hear people say, "Oh no, we can't change that because you know the bishops won't like it, or the Pentecostals won't like it," because you know the Pentecostals run schools here in Australia, government-funded schools, they're not independent; they're dependent. Catholic and, Church and Mr. does. Mr.
2: Morrison sends his children to those
1: schools. Oh, of course he does, because his skin crawls at the idea of his children going to a state school for some reason. I'm not was it skin peels. Anyway, I can't remember. Um, oh no, um, our current crop of crop politicians have no interest in changing this system, but that doesn't mean we, have, we can't call for change, because we are community radio, we can do what we like. Mm. 3CR, yes, 855 on the AM and i if oh, you out there listening, it's time to get up and do something about this, because it's going to get worse before it gets better.
2: And the Radiothon is coming up.
1: Yeah. so we can,
2: We're here because people give, sometimes sacrificially, to keep this show on the road. And we're going to come uh, knocking on your door, knocking on your checkbook in the next couple of weeks what because the? the dogs have got to raise 6500
1: We do. And that, we'll be telling you about that coming up. But um, all that grumpiness, it's about time I had some good news. I'm going to tell you about a great state school. But we're going to do that, of course, after this. Every week on the Dog's Programme we have a special segment to show a different state school is a great school.
2: State schools are great. Schools. School of the week,
1: state school. School now, great of the school. week, great state schools. State, state schools, schools, school are great of the schools. week. School for the week here on the Dog's Programme. back to the dogs program here on 3cr855 on the am dial it's time for our great state school now i'm i'm drawn to this school i'm drawn to this school because this school is at the moment center center of a controversy the controversy is about whether it gets its money or not now the school i'm talking about is out there in a place called hamilton in the western districts now hamilton's chock-a-block full of boarding schools um, that are run by the private sector and are government funded and um, take the wealthy families, children and educate them out there. Um, yeah, there are a, a large number of religious private schools in Hamilton but there's one school that's not and it's Bainbridge College. Now Bainbridge College has got around about 500 kids in it, a few less, oh, maybe, maybe 450 this year but it's an interesting school. Um, in terms of the kids that turn up there, 7% come from the richest families in Australia and around about 70% come from the poorest families in Australia. So, um, you know, this, this whole this, every, now and then, every now and then I sit there and talk about postcode Nazism when it comes to education, but the more I talk about it, the more I'm given heart because there are always schools out there that take anyone who comes through the door. They don't give a damn about what postcode they come from. They're going to give them the best education they can, and those are the state schools. Those are the government schools, and Bainbridge College is a P to 12 college, in Hamilton and Western Victoria, and it's one of those schools. It's a great school. Now, the college is part of a central education of excellence and it draws students from across and beyond the region. And it's well-placed, of course, the school, to like because it's a country school. It treats itself as a country school and doesn't pretend to be anything other than that. And that's a good thing, because the college works hard to offer a high standard of education and a wide range of opportunities. Their goal is to provide quality instruction which engages students and enables them to achieve success through Basically, doing well and then continuing to do well. Student learning is always done by the teaching and supporting information technologies. It has to be these days. But students in the school, because it's a country school, are encouraged to take responsibility for their own learning and negotiating with the teachers what it is that they have to learn and how quickly they learn it. Because in the country school, you can start to do those little things. Now, it's a little bit more than half boys and girls, um, there's about 5% of the kids there are Indigenous, and there's about two kids there, um, or, about, or about ten kids or so that come from a language background other than English. So it's in terms of the Western Districts, definitely reflective of the community of which it is part. Now the school itself, how well do they teach their kids? They teach them fine. Um, their NAPLAN results are, are good, um, sometimes better than good, but basically they're fine. They're getting a good education. But In terms of how much it costs us, the taxpayer, to educate these kids, I think it's an interesting number because this is the western districts. This is not the centre of Melbourne. How much does it cost to educate these kids out there? Well, quite frankly, it costs more than... Well, you'd expect it to cost more. It costs about $20,000 per kid per year, which, as far as I'm concerned, is a bit of a bargain. They're doing a good job. They're a country school. So why are they great? Well, they're great because of the way they fit in. Because they are the only school in Hamilton that, if you rock up at their door and say, "I've got a kid, and here he is, here here she is, and she needs an education," the school says, "Yep, no worries, go for it. Let's get them all sorted out, and let's get them an education." They don't go, "How much money you got?" Uh, no, that's not a question. Um, how good are they at school before they arrived here? Is not a question that gets asked. Um, in terms of whether the child, um, is going to be admitted into the school because all the other schools around them are private schools. Now, the federal government back in 2018 promised $8.2 million upgrade for this school. It
2: was the state government, I think.
1: Yeah, it was the state government. Hmm. State government problem. Now, according to the state government, I think it's interesting. Um, they said that they've delivered this. Hmm. There's been, but according to the local, um, the local National Party member, um, this money is not forthcoming. So they're doing a good job with what they got, but there is the need in Hamilton to actually to actually support this school because one thing I haven't told you about Bainbridge College is that throughout all of everything I'm telling you in terms of the results, in terms of the teaching, in terms of the ethos, in terms of admitting everyone that wants to turn up to it or being welcome in school, the school itself is falling down. Now, if the school's falling down, that's not great. So why am I talking about it as a great that school? That tells
2: you what the people in power think of the children. A, a child gets a very quick message about where they fit mm. in the world by the status and the, the uh, actual situation that their school is in.
1: Yes. I think Jean's got the point there, and so therefore this money is is needed. I think it's rather interesting. So 8.4 million dollars has been um, has been promised, which I think is rather interesting. Um, now the local national party member is jumping up and down saying it is not forthcoming, but the Net, but the education minister Melino, says that it is. So I'm going to watch this space. So this is a great state school. It's a great state school. We're going to keep an eye on because whether this money turns up or not is important
2: especially if Mr Molina is prepared to give $400 to the private schools.
1: Well, indeed.
2: Uh, And uh, what interests me about this situation is that I heard something about this problem on the ABC News very early in the morning, and the next news I heard, it wasn't there. But I'm glad that you've managed to find something about it somewhere in the internet, Robert. Well, I
1: think the ABC has put something to air without fact-checking it and then taking it off, because um, it, it, it was an arguable piece of data. But the one thing I will tell you, because I know a bit about Hamilton, I've worked out there, um, is that if you give $8.4 million to Bainbridge College, it's going to be a better-looking school than all the private schools around it it's going to be sexier, it's going to be better looking. The kids at Bainbridge College can hold up their head and be a bit stiffy about all the private school kids around them because the private school kids around them have been have, have had the top dog status in terms of facilities now for some time. But if this happens, you will find that Bainbridge College will start to get a massive increase in enrolments. People go, well, why am I spending all my money for this when there's that beautiful thing over there? Now, facilities don't matter when it comes to educational outcomes, beyond a certain point, like if the roof doesn't work and you get wet, that does actually, that's not good for your test scores. And the toilets
2: are a health hazard.
1: And if the toilets are a health hazard, then that's not good for your test scores. They're not directly correlated, but my goodness, sometimes they've got something to do with each other. But if a if, if buildings all around you are falling down, it gives you a sense about your place in the world. But if your buildings all around you are brand spanking new, you know that you're loved. You know that what happens to you in the school matters because someone's actually caring about what this place looks like and what happens inside it. And that, I think, will be a very significant boost to Bainbridge College if it happens. Which is why I'm going to say at the moment they're a great state school, but they've gone the boundaries of being an excellent one. So congratulations, Bainbridge College, Hamilton, Victoria, you are our great state school. Want to defend government schools? We are the DOGS, D-O-G-S, Defenders of Government Schools. Every week on the DOGS program we have a special segment to show a different state school is a great school. If you're a parent, or if you're a kid, or if you're involved in the school in any way whatsoever, and you love your state school, give 3CR a call. We want to hear about these schools that we're defending. Brunswick Secondary School.
2: State College. schools are great.
1: Harkaway primary State school. State school. Sunshine North Primary They're School. are really
0: concerned about the welfare of the kids and their growth as people as well as learning. You
1: got, like You put on plays, you got enrichment, you've got vis- physical education, visual arts, languages, all that. In fact, is there a cooking... Actually, thing? an
0: embracing of kids from disadvantaged backgrounds and with additional needs.
1: More than half of your kids are from some of the poorest families in Australia.
0: Yeah, definitely. That's the community and that's who we're servicing and that's who, that's who we welcome into the school.
1: Outdoor
2: play is linked to healthier and happier children. This, in turn, leads to better grades... In a weekly
0: Assemblies and stuff, they have a little thing, uh, you've been caught being good, and they have a, a value of the week each week, and so it's not just words, it is
1: actually... So, so what do the teachers do when it's a building site? Yeah, they kick themselves out of their own staff room and turn it into a classroom.
0: Just a really nice culture and an emphasis on social skill building as well as learning.
2: State schools
1: are great schools. Great state schools. Oh, it's been great to have your company this week on the DOGS program, the Defenders of Government Schools. Look, if you're interested in everything I'm, I and Gene and, and what we've been talking about, you can actually get hold of us. You can get hold of us at our website at www.adogs.info. www.adogs.info. And indeed, um, you can get hold of us at the at the 3CR website, 3CR.org.au. Or if you do have a great state school that you're interested in, you can please feel free to give the radio station a call saying, I'd like to leave a message for Rob, tell him to talk about this great state school. And you just you just leave the name and I'll do all the rest. You can do that by calling up on nine four one nine eight three double seven. That's nine four one nine eight three double seven. But as we were mentioning earlier, it's Radiothon time coming up. So, yeah, if you've still got a checkbook, get it out. <laughs> if you want to do a swift purchase, <laughs> you want to do a swift payment to support Community Radio. Because Community Radio is about the only thing we've got left in these in these worlds. So, if you can, in, in, the, in the weeks coming up, have a think about supporting us here at 3CR. But until then, of course, it's bye for now.
5: I'm standing by my bed. They framed you on a murder charge. Says Joe, but I'm dead. Says Joe, but I'm dead. The copper bosses killed you, Joe. They shot you, Joe, says I. went on to organize went on to organize from San Diego up to Maine in every mine and mill where workers strike and organize it's there you find your hill it's there But Joe, you're ten years dead. I.